Amen. Can I invite up uh, Yaman, who's going to be bringing us our Bible reading today. Do, do open your church Bibles, if you've got one in front of you, uh, to page 1194, 1194, and we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Thank you, Yaman. Good morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 10 and 17 to 19. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish, harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as firm foundations for the coming age, so that all may take hold of the life that is truly life. That is the word of God. Let's uh, pause to pray. Heavenly Father, as we have just uh, read, so may this be a reality in all of our lives, both those here and those watching online or listening on the podcast, that we may take hold of the life that is truly life. Lord, we long for this life. Come and speak to us now and change us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, there were these two young fish, and they were swimming along the river one day uh, when they were greeted by this much older fish swimming in the opposite direction. And this older fish said to these two younger fish, Morning, boys. Uh, How's the water today? The fish just kept on swimming until a little while later. One of the younger fish turned to the other and asked him, What is water? Now, this story, you could call it a modern-day fable, um, speaks of a truth. That's what fables do. They speak of a sort of a, a deeper truth. And this is that truth. Some of the most obvious and important realities are the ones that are hardest to see. Today, we're starting a new series of talks which will lead us up until Christmas. And we're calling this our Advent series of talk, uh, uh, Preparing for Christmas. And although Advent doesn't officially start uh, for another couple of weeks, um, I thought, well, maybe we need a bit more extra preparation. Uh, And this season is all about preparing our hearts to receive the true gift of Christmas, which is Christ himself. And uh, the theme of these Advent talks are all based around one word, which is simplicity. 
today we're going to be looking at simplicity of stuff. Uh, we've called it simplicity and materialism, uh, but we could have easily have called it simplicity and consumerism. Uh, next week we're going to be looking at simplicity in speech. The week after, simplicity in contentment, simplicity in, well, this, it goes on and on. And today uh, we're looking at simplicity and materialism. Materialism, uh, materialism or consumerism uh, is the water in which the modern West is swimming in. Uh, materialism and consumerism, and there is a slight difference between uh, these terms, but today we're going to use them sort of interchangeably. And materialism tells us this. We will be where we want if we have a little more. We will be where we want if we have a little more. Just a little more money in our paychecks. Just a little more cushion in our pension pot. Just a a little more square footage in our homes. Just a, a little bit more items in our wardrobes. And there's a whole multi billion dollar or pound industry based upon this premise which is being sold to us. We will be where we want if we have a little more. And it's called advertising. And uh, the people that work in the business world are not idiots. Uh, They don't pour uh, great sums of money into advertising on like a, a whim, on a hunch that it might work. Instead, they divert millions of pounds and use trillions of bits of data to sell you things on this false promise. Often it's a false promise that you will be where you want if you have this little thing more. And this is not to say all advertising or promotion uh, is bad. People in advertising and marketing can be promoting wonderful goods and services that really will make a positive impact in people's lives. I'm not here to lambast sort of the uh, advertising industry, far from it. Rather, I am trying to help us to see the water in which we are swimming. And that water has been called the propaganda of more. The propaganda of more. That we will be where we want to be if only we have a little bit more. However, the reality is human desire is infinite. We were made for a relationship with an infinite God and therefore no amount No piles of stuff, uh, of variety, of quality of experience will be able to fill our hearts or satisfy our deepest longings. There's a guy uh, called John D. Rockefeller. Many of you may have heard of his name. He was an American businessman who is widely considered to be the wealthiest American ever to live and the richest person in modern history. And one day a journalist asked him a very simple question. How much money will be enough? And Rockefeller paused for a moment to think and then he gave this reply. Just a little more. 
just a little more. John Woolman was an 18th century uh, merchant. He turned into an abolitionist, um, and he said this, with an increase of wealth, the desire of wealth increased. This was what he noticed. If our hearts are left unchecked and undisciplined, we will always want that little bit more. We will never be satisfied because the goalpost will always move. If we attempt to satisfy the longings of our hearts with things, then we are destined to fail. Richard Foster uh, is a Christian author. He's perhaps best known uh, for his classic book, A Celebration of Discipline. And if you haven't got it, I'd recommend that you get a copy. It looks at sort of 12 sort of practices uh, of uh, the Christian life, um, and it goes through each in turn. And then a few years later, after he first published A Celebration of Discipline, he published another book, a little bit less well-known, but it focused in on one of these disciplines. It focused in... On in, it focused in on simplicity. And the book is called Freedom of Simplicity. If you're looking for a book to read over Advent or a book to read that will sort of uh, supplement what we're sort of talking about over the next few weeks, I'd recommend The Freedom of Simplicity. And in it, he writes this. This is one of the things he writes. The unreasoned boast abounds that the good life is found in accumulation that more is better. Indeed, we often accept this notion without question, with the result that the lust for affluence in contemporary society has become psychotic. It has completely lost touch with reality. Furthermore, the pace of the modern world accentuates our sense of being fractured and fragmented. We feel strained, hurried, breathless. Anyone feel like that? The complexity of rushing to achieve and accumulate more and more frequently threatens to overwhelm us. It seems there is no escape from the rat race. Christian simplicity frees us from this modern mania. It brings sanity to our compulsive extravagance and peace to our frantic spirit. It allows us to see material things for what they are, goods to enhance life, not to oppress life. Friends, This is the water that we're swimming in. The unreasoned boast of materialism and consumerism claims you will be where you want to be if you only have a little more. But ultimately, this leaves us feeling fractured and fragmented and hurried and breathless and frequently overwhelmed because materialism and consumerism are fast food. They take our hunger away for a few minutes, but they don't fulfill our appetites, our deepest longings. They don't actually give us energy and life. Whereas the Christian discipline of simplicity, the practice of simplicity, frees us from this modern madness so that we can enjoy the good gifts that God has given us. 
And so, so far, what have we looked at? We've considered why we need to practice simplicity. We all need to practice it, because believe it or not, this is the air that we breathe, the water that we swim in. Our consumer culture is a formation culture. It is forming us. You know, it leaves us feeling fractured and uh, fragmented, and there is never enough. There is never enough because the goalposts will always move forever because our infinite desire cannot be satisfied by finite things. Instead, we need to resist the inertia of our culture. Now, this is not about being anti-pleasure. It's not about being anti-things or anti-beautiful things or beauty. Rather, it is about limiting ourselves so that we can be free. The gospel is about freedom, free to enjoy the good things that God has given us and so that our restless hearts can find peace. So let's take another look at what our passage has to say on today's theme of simplicity and materialism. Now our passage is split into two halves. Uh, The first half was verses 6 to 10. And then, uh, and basically, these verses are just statements on reality. They contain no commands. They don't contain instructions. They are simply eternal and unchanging truths made clear to us. And we can choose to believe them or we can choose to ignore them. You see, culture would want us to question these truths. You know, people are not going to get paid if we start questioning consumerism and materialism. Culture wants us to question these truths, but followers of Jesus believe that this book is the inspired word of God, and God wants us to be free to live life in all its fullness, as our final verse said. So these are six statements on reality. So keep your Bibles open if you've got one in front of you, and let's go quickly through each one in turn. So this is today's message. I'm basically going to read the passage again. Here we go. So godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul is saying here that the thing of great value is not wealth, It's not the latest iPhone, it's not uh, swanky holiday in Mauritius. All those things are, are good things in themselves, but it's not the thing of great value. The thing of great value is godliness, becoming more like Jesus, growing to be a follower of Jesus, and this is marked by contentment. So that's number one. Number two, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. In other words, you can't take it with you. Everything we have is fleeting. The only thing that we can take into eternity is our relational soul, our relational self, the person that we have become in the years that we have on earth and the relationships that we have invested into. Number three, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now, the Greek word that we translate clothing here literally means a covering, which could include a roof over your head. In other words, if we've got food in our stomachs, clothes on our backs, and a roof over our heads, we can be content. Number four, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap 
and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. These are just the words of the Bible. So this actually moves us beyond what we've said so far. What we've said so far is basically that materialism, wealth, doesn't ultimately satisfy. If we try it, we'll spend our whole lives yearning for more and feeling increasingly depressed. But this actually verse moves us beyond what this is saying. It's saying that it doesn't just fail to satisfy, but that our desire for more is actually a real threat to our souls. The desire for just a little bit more can plunge us into ruin and destruction. It can numb our hearts to God and cause us to oppress the poor and exploit the earth. Number five, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You've probably uh, heard that many people probably misquote that actually in the world. They often say money is the root of all evil. Money is the root of all evil. But it doesn't actually say that. It says the love of money, not money itself. It doesn't say the root. It says a root of all kinds of evil. And this love of money isn't just limited to the rich, it's limited to, to, well, it's unlimited. It can grip the hearts of the rich and the poor alike. And it is true, the love of money can be traced as a root to all kinds of evil and human injustice, from systemic racism to the exploitation of creation that we're witnessing at present from the, I don't know, the modern day slavery that, that sort of surrounds our fashion industry to broken relationships at home. You know, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So number six, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves pierced themselves. God, why have you done this to me? Have pierced themselves with many griefs. And this is a sad reality to witness as a pastor. It is a sad reality sometimes for me to witness because just, as you, just because you're sitting here today, it doesn't mean that you'll be attending church or at all in relationship to Christ in a year or two. You see, the desire for more, be it I know, more experienced. It's just, oh, that, that's that thing that drags you away from church on a Sunday more. You know, that, that desire for more can grip our hearts and people, step by step, drift away from faith. And sadly, these people will reap the consequences, if not at a physical level, at a soul level. Do not think that you're immune to materialism and consumerism. It's the water that we swim in. And so these are just six statements on reality, six statements as to how life works. Now let's move to the uh, next uh, verses, verses 17 to 19. Just had six statements of how life actually is. Now we've got six commands. But who are these commands for? Let's read in verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world. 
Well, that's okay, we can all go home then, can't we? Because it's all talking about someone else. You know, um, everyone's there thinking, phew, you know, I don't have to worry about the second half of the passage, I can relax, Uh, it's for someone else. For that person over there who earns a little bit more than me. But before you mentally switch off, let me share with you just a few stats that I found this morning. If you have an income, now these incomes are post-tax, so after tax, but not after pension or anything like that, just post-tax. If you've got an income of £13,000, you are in the top 10% of the richest people on the planet at this moment in time. If your income is £20,000, that puts you in the top 5%, and this book was written for 100% of the people on this planet. And if you earn £40,000, you are part of the lucky 1% of the richest people in this world. 82% of the people on this planet do not own a car. 46% of the world do not have access to basic sanitation. Two billion people, these are from the UN website, two billion people do not have access to clean and safe drinking water. That's one in every four people on this planet do not have access to clean water. 10% of the world's population goes to sleep every single day of their life hungry. Every day, the UN reports 25,000 people, including 10,000 children every single day, die of hunger or hunger-related issues. And the stats go on and on. And for me, well, it's not that I'm not going to eat today. I will make a choice of what I will eat based upon my preference. Because I am the rich. This passage was written for me and friends. This passage is written for everyone in this room. So let's not assume that this passage isn't written for me, it's written for someone else. So let's have a look at these six commands. Command those, who ri- command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant. With wealth comes the illusion, and it is an illusion, that we are self-made, that we are self-made people. And this illusion, well, with this illusion, in creeps pride. And this is the complete opposite of the humble heart of gratitude that we should have to God for the gifts and abilities and the opportunities that God has given us. Because if, we were poor, if I was born in a different part of the world, I might not have clothes on my back and I might be go, I'd have the same gifts and abilities, but here I am, you know, well-fed, you know, and if, you know, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would not be here. Number two, nor put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Do not look, this is second command, do not look to wealth or stuff or success in your career to help you feel safe and content. Firstly, because it can't deliver. We've looked at the the fact that it can't deliver. As Rockefeller said, how much will be enough? Just a little bit more. The wealthiest person in modern history. Stuff will never ultimately satisfy. And secondly, do not put your hope in wealth because this passage qualifies, it is so uncertain. It can disappear at any point. 
Number three, put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Simplicity is not anti-pleasure, is not anti-beauty, is not anti-stuff. Jesus was not down on pleasure or enjoyment and neither should we be. God provides everything for our enjoyment. Number four, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds. Here. He is not only talking about what we do with our stuff, our material possessions, but also what we do with our privilege and our influence. You know, we are to be rich in good deeds, in doing good. Friends, we live in modern day Maidenhead. We've all got influence. We should be using our influence and privilege to do Good. Number five, be willing, sorry, be generous and willing to share. Here, we are talking about explicitly what we do with our wealth and the things that we own. So we are to be generous and willing to share. And lastly, number six, lay up treasure as a firm foundation for the coming age. Use your wealth and influence to invest in the kingdom of God, laying up treasure in heaven where thieves cannot steal nor moth and rust destroy. And I'll just insert a joke that I've just thought of. There was this, uh, 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 there was this guy who really wanted to sort of hoard wealth and he, and he got loads and loads of money and he suddenly got these gold bars and he was determined to take them to heaven with him and he packed his suitcase and somehow he got these gold bars and he was greeted yeah, by, uh, I don't know, Peter at the gates of heaven and, and as he was there, he was dragging his heavy gold laden you know, um, uh, suitcase into heaven, uh, Peter stopped him and said, you know, excuse me, can you tell me why you're trying to smuggle in pavement into heaven? Because the streets are lined with gold. Sometimes we, the things that we, that we think are, are the most important actually are not. You lay up treasure as a firm foundation for the coming age. So these are six statements on reality, six commands to us. Are we willing to practice simplicity? Well, what can we expect if we are willing to practice the way of Jesus? Our final few words say it. In this way, we will take hold of the life that is truly life. Friends, we are swimming in a culture of consumerism and materialism, which is leading, as you know, to a pandemic of depression and greater and greater degrees of dissatisfaction uh, and well, you know the world that we're living in. But Jesus calls us to a better way of living a more beautiful life. He calls us to enjoy things, to enjoy the good gifts that he's given us, and he calls us to a life of simplicity. And his desire for you is that you would take hold of the life that is truly life. So let's drop those suitcases of gold and take hold of the life that Jesus offers us. Shall we stand and we're gonna pray and then we're gonna move into our final song together.